0: Well, thank you, Josh, Brielle, and Alyssa, and uh, just folks, yeah, praise God. Um, Pastor Andrew would be here today, but uh, the sickness thing has visited their household, and because they love you all, they don't want to share it. So um, they love you that much, and that's a good thing. So thank you for, I mean, literally, they just found out, end of the week, hopped in, they're up here praise we're just grateful so thanks for for the tools yeah they can step in that way so thank you and as eric mentioned there's just a lot happening this is this is a wild time of year but there's many things going on uh, in our church family i just want to keep everybody aware as much as we can of of those things one thing would be this you know we have a fantastic cvc kids ministry and angela house does a beautiful job at leading that and we're grateful for angela um, and uh, just to keep everybody uh, apprised of, of uh, some developments, uh, Angela has uh, has let us know that she needs to transition out of that ministry. Um, she has some things to focus on with her family and some other things. And, and you know, as we've said many times here at Clayton Valley Church, just because you're overseeing a ministry or in a ministry, we don't expect that to be the case of you until you either die or Jesus comes back. That's not how we roll. People get to transition. That's that's okay. That's a good thing actually. And so uh, for for Angela, we've been you know, praying through that and, and seeking God with that and going, Lord, you know, what would you do? Who, who would you have uh, step up to, to, to serve and lead in that ministry? And I'm grateful to be able to say uh, that Mary Runyon has said yes to being our next children's ministry director at Clayton Valley Church. So we praise God for that. We're thankful for her. And so, what does that mean over the next month or so? Well, first of all, Mary comes with just a lot of experience. She's actually uh, overseen uh, children's ministries at, at a previous church. Um, she has a lot of gifts. It's going to be fun to see how she dives in and, 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 and serves in this way. But she's going to be shadowing uh, Angela for the next month or so, just to kind of learn, you know, how do things work around here, what's going on, uh, and then come January, uh, there'll be that, that transition where she'll take the helm completely. So we praise the Lord for how he provides, how he works, and, uh, and for, uh, for all of us. We're thankful for the kids God's blessed us with, but we're also thankful for the team of people that cares for our kids. And certainly we're thankful for Angela and all the time and, and effort and, and the way she's navigated us through a really crazy season as a church. Uh, there was this thing, there was a global pandemic, remember that? Yeah, there was that whole thing. There was what do you do with kids through that whole thing. And she she really steered us so beautifully uh, through that entire season. So you'll hear more about some of the transitional things later, but I um, wanted to keep you in the loop on that. Uh, the other thing is, some, you know, some have asked, hey, what is happening with Access for All? And if you're visiting with us today, we've got a, a desire to to be a good steward with the campus God's given us. We want to open the doors wider. Uh, so that we can have uh, people that have free access to all that we do around here, and that means that right over here we're planning on putting an addition in that would include an elevator that would include ADA compliant restrooms that would be more open, more inviting, more welcoming. We're expanding the, the re- re- rearranging the nursery area uh, to make that more effective to care for kids. And so uh, anyway, people have been asking where are we at what's going on with that? Because we, our desire is to be able to uh, raise by commitments and/or gifts uh, about $900,000 between now and or we started in late, late November and, uh, and we want to have the kind of an awareness and those commitments in by January 14th. And so, as of right now, this is how it looks. So there's our, our goal of $900,000 and we've received in commitments uh, $194,140 so far and in, in donations we've received $77,648. So, that puts the total raised as of right now at $271,788. And now and we and praise God, yeah, we're thankful for that. So we are, for those of you who have given and committed to that, we praise God, we're thankful. We also recognize that for a lot of us, we're praying through what, what is our three-year commitment going to be, and that's appropriate and good. That's right. We need to do that. Go before God. Now, all the resources we have, they're not ours. They belong to him, and so we want to be stewards of what he's given us. And so uh, we would just ask that as we go before God, we'll look forward to seeing what, what, what he's going to do uh, between now and, and, uh, and, and January 14th. Uh, at that point, our deacons will make uh, some decisions in terms of next steps, uh, in terms of the project itself, and, and we really want God to be glorified in every part of what we do. Uh, this is his campus, right? We want to honor him. In, in everything. And so we, we thank him for that. So that's where we're at, and uh, we'll look forward to, to what comes up next. Um, the other thing that's happening today, as you've already heard, Christmas joy. This is the day that we deliver. So these gifts that are here, as Eric mentioned, they're not just, you know, decorations. These are actual gifts that are going to actual kids that represent actual families, Uh, That have One or more of their parents right now Will find themselves in jail And they can't give a gift to their kid for Christmas And so what Bay Area Chaplains does Is they allow these inmates to make requests And say, hey, would you help me out By purchasing a gift on my behalf And delivering it to the child So what's happened is you've already gone out and bought the gifts You've already wrapped them By the way, good job on wrapping Way better than I could ever wrap, that's for sure so we praise God for that. And then today it's going to be delivered. Now, And it might be that you're here going, oh, I wish I could have been a part of that. Well, there's still something you can do. You can help deliver uh, gifts. And so if you, if you would like to do that, we still need some drivers. Um, and uh, you can just, it's, it's actually one of the best parts, I think, is being able to actually go to the door, knock on the door, and say, uh, you know, here, I'm giving this to you on behalf of your, your parent. In the name of Jesus, you know, this is for you. And I do recall one, one year, I may have shared this last year, I can't remember now, but it was a few years back, and uh, we were delivering, and we got to deliver a bike, and um, <laughs> we roll the bike up, and knock on the door kind of thing, and, and the parent comes, you know, the, and goes, oh, thank you, and, and brings the bike in. And as we're walking away, we hear a kid's voice, a boy's bo- voice, and he goes, is that for me? holy bleep <laughs> you know and you're just like, you know, it's like we're reaching out we're, we're reaching out to the right kind of people that need to hear the gospel it was so fun it was, we, walked, we were just laughing like you know this is God at work and, and uh, so again it, it, the, to see the expression on the family's face is a, is a really beautiful thing and, and parents I would recommend do it with your kids it's a great way for your kids to learn about um, caring for others in a very tangible way so if you, if you are interested in, in, in delivering, uh, you can, and can just be right here. Uh, Jennifer Splendora is going to be right Can I tell you that you're going to be right here? Is that okay? She will be standing right there after service. So walk right there after service, and, and, and we'll be able to help you deliver some gifts uh, for, for kids. So, uh, all right, well, we are all in the thick of the season And and a part of this Christmas series is we're really desiring to take this time and focus. We've we've been doing the Advent wreath to kind of remind ourselves week after week what we are anticipating with Jesus coming. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get really, really annoyed at uh, the things that end up getting in my way, my way, of celebrating the season in the way I'd like to. It probably never happens to you at all. Liar? (laughs) No, but but it doesn't... I'm thinking of one particular thing that happened to me this past week. Um, I'm, I'm the light guy at our house, all right? So when we get the tree, I put the lights on. I've got a system, people, okay? I've got a way. I want light evenly distributed, but I don't want it to be too bright, right? We gotta have it. So I, I put the lights up. So I, every year, I put the lights away. And I'm very careful, okay? Like, I take the lights, I wrap them, because I don't want to buy new lights, and I'm not given to the conspiracy theories, but I'm telling you right now, I think there is a conspiracy. <laughs> the lights only last for like two years, Tops. Because they want you to buy more. I have not been rough with these lights. I was kind with them. I was deliberate. And yet I pulled them out. Of the four strands I think I had, one was working. Great. And then, then I go into mine. Really? Come on, man. So then I, I go to Ace. And of course, Janet's like, hey, I've got Ace coupons. I'm like, oh yeah, Ace coupons. They never expire practically. That's great. Just grab the coupon and go. I get to Ace. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. You know how many kinds of lights there are now? They've got LED. They've got warm. They've got cold. They've got 100 lights. They've got 50. They've got, I'm going, ah, it's like a wall. So I just kind of go up, you know, grab my lights. Go to the register. Hey, I've got a coupon. Yeah, you didn't spend enough. You can't use that coupon. Right? Come to find out, Jan, like, you took the wrong coupon, man. There's a different one. I'm like, oh, of course. It's even worse. Get, the, get home. I'm lighting. And then, and then it hits me, though. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm looking. I'm like, what are these lights for? Why do we have them? Kind of have this, you know, Existential moment with Christmas lights. What? Why? What is the essence of lightness? Why do we do this? And then it hits. Wait a minute. We do lights because of who Jesus is. We do lights because the reality is Jesus is the light. That's why. All these lights are here. They're beautiful. Everywhere you see them. But they're here to depict one central reality. Jesus is that light. And so because of that, we're going to spend some time this morning in the Gospel of John. Because John describes Jesus as the light in such a powerful and and just graphic and beautiful way. So if you would go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And... uh, As we do so, just think about this. The apostle John's the one who wrote this account. Uh, He's the son of Zebedee. He's a Palestinian Jew. He's a member of uh, Jesus's inner circle during his earthly ministry. And certainly John's audience in this particular gospel would consist of both uh, Greeks and Jews. And the Greco-Roman world as a whole is just sort of a, a massive, massive combination of different cultures so really this gospel is written to everybody it's not really honing in on any particular people group but, but John John's sensitive to that he, in the gospel account he's going to explain Jewish customs and, and Palestinian geography he's going to actually translate some some ter- Aramaic terms into Greek so people can understand what they say and so he's actually very aware of his non-Jewish readers and he, he wrote this gospel right around somewhere between 80, uh, 80, 80 and 90 somewhere in there so uh, you'll find this passage on page 71 and the Bible's provided for you there on the chair rack. But let's go ahead and stand follow along as I read. John chapter one, beginning with verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth John testified about him and cried out saying this was he of whom I said he who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, the beauty and the depth of the description here of you, your person, and your work, and your might. Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you would grace us to see you more clearly, to grasp the immense gift and sacrifice that you would take to yourself a human nature that you would come down to us to rescue us, that you would be the light of the world in the darkness. And so we ask that we would respond to the light as those who receive you. We pray that you'd be glorified in what you accomplished today amongst us, that we would be different today and through the rest of this week than we were when we walked in. We ask that you would accomplish this by your spirit's power through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So the main question that's being addressed in this passage is simply this. Who is Jesus? And so we're just going to utilize that question to to explore the rest of the passage here. And the first thing that we would find is this very clearly. Jesus is God. Uh, We find that in verses 1 through 4. Uh, You'll notice that in the very first passage there, in verse 1, the word, the word, the word. It's repeated three times. It's emphatic. And and that terminology, it's so much, it's interesting because there's so much conjecture about, well, the word, the Greek word is logos. What is the logos? And and so many uh, scholars uh, that are kind of attempting to undermine the Bible, so they're kind of like, oh, now let's poke at this thing to try to strip it of its authority would say something along these lines. That term logos is is being borrowed. It's being borrowed from other places. Maybe it's from some form of Greek Stoicism or maybe it's being borrowed from uh, some form of Gnosticism or or, or something else, you know, Plato, a philosopher. Who who knows? Something. And in fact, when when you go through the passage and you realize how John is using it, we come to realize something. John is not ignorant of those things as he uses the term. But in the way he uses the term and in what he describes with the term, we see that he understands his audience. He understands who's going to be reading this. He understands his culture. He understands their their use of this term. And he's actually taking it and harnessing it to describe something new, different, and beautiful. And so we see here that the logos, the word, if anything, if there's a background that's being utilized, certainly it would come from the Old Testament where we find that, that God created all things by the power of, you know, by, by speaking, by his word. And we, he's gonna describe this in verse two. He was in the beginning with God. And yet at the same time, end of verse one, the word was God. Well, how does that work? Huh. He's a being who has relationship with God and yet he is also god and so again we would see very clearly here the trinity though the term is not being used here certainly the the triune nature of the godhead is depicted and we need to just be honest about the terminology that's being used here in the old testament that that background for logos the wisdom of god there's places in the proverbs where it's personified where it's by wisdom i founded the earth i founded the heaven so certainly that connection with creation is key and yet, the Word was God. And, uh, and yet, the Word was also with God. And then, verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who is this? It's the Word he's talking about. As in, this one, he created all things. He's the creator. And this point is very powerfully made. Uh, very similar to Genesis. And again, you see, it in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Um, by the way, there is some discussion too at the end of verse one with this idea of the word was God. There are some people through the centuries have tried to say, hey, there's no article there. There's no the there. And because of that, because there's no the there in the Greek, he's not saying that this one, the word is identified as being in fact God. Instead, no, he's, he's uh, sort of uh, like a god like, like there's a characteristic of godness about him uh, The problem with that There's several problems The main one would be this That's just not how Greek works <laughs> Let's just put it that way uh, This idea of not having the article And identifying something Happens in other places in, in the scriptures As a matter of fact in, in chapter 1 uh, In verse 49 You can see where it says "Nathaniel answered him Rabbi you are the son of God You are the king of Israel Guess what? There's no definite article there either <laughs> Yet very clearly, this one's being def- identified in particular as the king. And so, uh, when people come to you, Arius was the, was the false teacher in the early church days who, who kind of put this forward. Today, uh, there are others that would claim this. If, if the Jehovah's Witnesses kind of come to your door knock on the door, they're going to try to teach Arianism to you. It's just a, kind of a new form of Arianism. Uh, but that, that heresy was dealt with centuries ago. And and again, we need to be clear about what this is saying. No, Jesus, the Word, is in fact God. He is divine. He claimed that himself. Uh, you think about it, uh, later on in, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 8, he's going to say, before Abraham was, I am. The people there understood what he was doing. He was equating himself with Exodus chapter 3, when God says to Moses, who's sending you? The I am is sending you. And certainly the people that were there with Jesus understood him because they picked up stones to stone him in that very moment. There would be times where Jesus would say, hey, why are you stoning? For which, which good work that I've done are you stoning me? And they would say, we're not stoning you for the good work. We're stoning you because you claim to be God. They understood it. And so we want to be really clear about this. Yes, that, that is what's being taught here. That's what's being said. Verse four goes on to say that in him was the life, that the word has a, a self-existing life that he dispensed at creation. And so we, we look at this and we're going, what, what's going on? And then he says, and this life was the light of men. So, you've got darkness in creation. What did God say? Let there be light. And light came into being. And here, John is saying this word, this one to whom I'm referring, he is God. All things were made through him. And he's the one that has innate life in himself. And he imparted that in the act of creation. He is God. And, and again, all of us need to answer this question. Will, will you come to the place of receiving that and accepting that? And if you're here today and you've never come to the place of trusting in Jesus, you've got to grapple with this reality. Jesus did claim this. I, I love uh, C.S. Lewis's The Trilemma. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with it or not. But basically, C.S. Lewis talks about how you've got three choices you know, with Jesus. He's either Lord or a liar or a lunatic one of the three uh, if he's a liar you know he's, he's claiming to be something that he's not which by the way if he's a great teacher someone say he's a great teacher he's just not God well if he's a liar get this great teachers are not liars so it doesn't really work uh, and then Lewis goes on to talk about how, or, or, or maybe he's delusional. You know, maybe, maybe, I think the analogy he uses is he's, he's, if he's claiming to be God and he's not and he's delusional, he's the equivalent to someone who basically claiming to be a poached egg. You know, which, again, would just be not, not mentally well. So he's a crazy person. Or he is who he claims to be. And so the question for all of us is, Will you recognize him as God? Maybe you're here today and you have come to Jesus. You've trusted in him. Guess what? We still have the exact same thing to understand and to hold on to. Jesus is God. Implication? You and I are not. What does that mean? That means as we're going through the week and as we're living our lives, we need to recognize I am not God. When I am angry, and by God's grace, he brings me back to my senses and I can go, Lord, I'm sorry. Almost every time, if I'm really thinking of coming back to him in confession and going, Lord, forgive me. One of the things I have to confess is this, Lord, forgive me for trying to be you. Because ultimately, what I'm saying is, what I want is this, this has to happen, it's not happening, whatever it is, it's being blocked, it's... But the only being in the universe whose will, desires, goals always happen is who? God. And so when I make those kinds of demands, I'm pretending like I'm him. No, Jesus is God. He alone is the Lord. And so as we really wrestle with this, if you're a believer today, as we wrestle with this together, we're we're going, Lord, help me to see that throughout these days my life, wherever I'm at right now, whatever I'm wrestling with right now, whatever's going on. And maybe, maybe you're married and there is some serious conflict happening in your home. Could it be that one of the biggest parts of your conflict, when it comes down to it, when you really think about it, certainly there's hurt feelings, maybe there's other things going on, there's, there's things to resolve. I'm not saying those things aren't there. But could it not be that at the core of it all, you're not getting your way? At the core of it all, could it not be that essentially you're acting like you're God? This would be a time to turn from that and recognize that Jesus alone is the one who rules. And certainly, yeah, talk things through. Deal with the issues. But if that's at the core of it, we need to turn from that Well, Jesus is God. And and that then leads us to another startling truth. Because he's God, he alone is the light. There is no other light. Look at what he says in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, One commentator said this about it. This verse is a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. (laughs) It's kind of like, what is he saying? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light is shining. That's what it does. And the darkness is there and the darkness does not grasp it. Now that term comprehend uh, can also mean overpower or overtake it. And there have been a lot of discussions. Is 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 it comprehend? Is it overpower? I think if we look at the passage in its context, it probably has elements of both. The darkness doesn't quite grasp it, doesn't get it, and also cannot overpower the light. And then we find that there's a certain person that God uses to bring forward the truth of this light. And that's John the Baptist. And we see that in verses 6 through 8. And there's several clarifications made here. Um, It's interesting. The writer, the apostle John, when he uses the name John throughout the gospel, he's always referring to John the Baptist. He never refers to himself by his name. It's almost like he's trying to say, hey, I, I'm not the issue. I want to focus on Jesus, the light. Uh, he'll refer to himself as sometimes the apostle that Jesus loved. Um, he'll use other terms. But when he, when he uses the term John, he's talking about John the Baptist. And, and we see here in this passage that John came as an eyewitness testimony about the light. Uh, he came as, as, as a prophet of God to, to demonstrate and to speak of and to teach on and to prepare the way for the, the Messiah, the King. And then in verse 9 we see that this is the true light. Which coming into the world enlightens every man. And some say, see, there you go. There's your, there's your verse for universalism. That means everyone's going to come to, you know, everyone's going to be saved. Well, here's the thing though. This light, what's it doing? It's coming into the world and enlightening. In what way? Uh, how, how does that work? How is it every man? And, and, and some would say, well, it's general revelation. You know, so you look at the, the, the sky, the ground, the created order, and you go, that's, that's what it's talking about. And so, essentially, you know, Paul describes that in Romans chapter 1. It's a biblical concept. It's true. But here's the thing. As true as that is, theologically, in this passage, it doesn't seem like that's what he's talking about. Uh, because it, it, it's not saying that the word is a potential light for every person. Instead, it's saying, no, the word is actually light. It gives light to every person. And so... Um, it seems to be best to see this, this, this light is, is really the objective revelation of Jesus. In other words, it doesn't come to one specific group. It doesn't come to, you know, depending on someone's religious upbringing or cultural background or, or time in history. No, instead, this light shines out and it's for all people everywhere at all times to encounter this light and to then decide, how am I going to respond to it? It shines on every person And 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 essentially there's two responses. There's the response of hating the light, and there's the response of receiving the light. Which is it gonna be? And we're told later in the gospel that that those who love darkness flee the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed by the light. In other words, I want to do what I want to do. I'm gonna live my life my own way. I'm gonna be my own master. But others will receive this light and they'll receive it in such a way that that means they're gonna turn away from the dark, they're gonna turn to Christ, they're gonna repent or, or turn 180 from the, what they've been living for, what they've been seeking after and they're gonna turn to Jesus instead to embrace salvation from him. And something beautiful happens then, that's when his righteousness is then given to them as a gift and their sin is placed upon him. And then he dies in their place. And so really here we see the light is shining on all. And, and it forces this sort of sort of kind of cru- you know, fork in the road. Which way are you going to go? In in, in in by encountering this light? What are you going to do? Because it shines on everyone, whether they'll admit it or not. We see here in verse 10 that. Jesus is the light of the world. The world was made through him. The world didn't know him. You notice three times, again, it's, it's emphasizing this. And, and, and this, this world is, is the idea of, of, of mankind in rebellion against God. He, he gave them this world to live in, He's blessed them in every way, and they have turned away from Him, shunned Him, and said, I do not want you. I, I I want all of your blessings, but I don't want you. But there's there's hope given. Jesus came to his own. He, he actually came to his people, and uh, and so it, it has the idea of of now zo- zooming in on on the Jewish nation, on the Jewish people, those of his heritage. It kind of goes broad to narrow there. And they rejected him. And and yet, though, what happens next? There's still hope in verse 12. To receive him. As many as received him, whoever they are, whether they're from that group or from the broad group of the world, whoever receives him becoming his children and to receive it is more than just sort of being intellectually like yes I get that or I'm thinking that's true or I'm going to I'm going to uh, give mental kind of agreement to that about these facts about Jesus no this is much more personal word to receive him has the idea of submitting to him in a personal relationship it's putting personal trust in him it's trusting everything that the Bible says is true about him and trusts in the totality of his person and also trusts in them what he's accomplished to save sinners. To receive him, to believe. And the question again would be this, have you, have you done that? Have you received Christ? Have you, have you believed on him? Because what happens is, when, that, when, you, when you receive him in that way, it's interesting. You then are received as his child. You're adopted into his family. What a beautiful picture. You know, in, in the first century, when a child was adopted, that child received all the rights and privileges of being a part of that family. Even, you know, inheritance, all those different things were directly given to those adopted. And so here we find as many as received him, to them he gives them this right to be God's child, to become that. Uh, there is, a, there is a, a way in which you become one of his kids and in, in doing so, you can cry out to him. Uh, Jesus describes it by saying, you know, crying out, Abba, Father. And that is, a, that is a, a term of endearment. That, that there's a, a loving bond there, a relationship there means you're not alone. It means that God is the one who cares for you. Uh, Maybe you grew up and your father was not someone that you would want to emulate or know or, or relate to, but maybe in your mind you had this idealized view of, man, if I had a great dad, what would he be like? Whatever is in your mind as being a good, wonderful, loving dad, realize that those images are even there in your mind because there is a heavenly father who made you. And you were made to know him. And God is that heavenly father for all who come to him through Jesus. You gotta love what it says in verse 13. They're born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God we find here that God God makes it clear that it's not your physical birth it's it's not your your ethnicity it's not your human effort it's not your religious performance that can make you a child of God only God's supernatural work of of salvation and you become a recipient of that when you trust him And so so here we find that, that John is blowing way past this idea again of just the Jewish people, right? He's saying, no, this is for anybody and everybody who will turn to Christ. Not of the will of man, but of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the free offer to all people is turn to Him, trust Him receive him. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God, which means he alone is the light. And that leads us to a final conclusion. Because he is God, he came down to save. This verse 14 is one of those places where you just go, what is happening here? And the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This divine one, this creator of all, this one who was there in the beginning, this one who is God, became flesh. God became human. This is the incarnation. Uh, The the word for for incarnation comes from from the, the Latin that means in flesh, literally. And so we find this is the supernatural act of God affected by the Holy Spirit where the second person of the Godhead took unto himself a human nature. And if you're sitting there going, what does that mean? I'll just say the same statement again, okay? It's mysterious. It's beyond our comprehension, but it's true. Because of that, the Son of God is, is the God-man. The Word made flesh. He became flesh he didn't cease being God, by the way. He, di- he did not stop being divine when that happened. The, uh, no, instead, he voluntarily laid aside the use of some of his attributes in order to carry out his saving mission. Dwelt Among Us is a beautiful picture because really it has the idea of he pitched his tent When you hear that phrase, he pitched his tent, what do you think of? If if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's talking about the tabernacle. And what happened in the tabernacle? That was where God dwelled. And how did he dwell? He dwelt among his people. So you could say, Jesus coming in the flesh, the word becoming flesh, dwelling amongst us, is literally God tabernacling amongst us. It's a personal way. And it's a way of indescribable humility that the Divine One, the Maker of all, would stoop so low and come down to live amongst us as someone who is fully human while being fully divine. We see that, again, verse 15 tells us John testified about it. He described it. He said, this one's higher in rank than I am for he existed before me. And if you know the the other accounts and the other gospels, you realize, wait, but John the Baptist was born first. Exactly. What's John saying? I was born first, but this one existed before me. Why? Because he's God. Eternally existent. When you think about that you go how could he do this and and what is he doing in doing this Verse 16 For his fullness in his fullness we have all received grace upon grace What's he talking about? The fullness of deity dwells in Christ. Christ, All that God is, all that God the Father is, all that God uh, has in terms of ability and all that God has in terms of being and all that God is as creator and sustainer, all those are Jesus. You know, one of the disciples said, you know, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll believe. And he goes, "Uh, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Again, if I say that to you ever, you need to run out of here as fast as possible. But Jesus can say that because it's true. 100% God, 100% man, that idea of being the perfect substitute for us is captured in these verses. Jesus had to take to himself a human nature to save us because he was, going to, he was bent on paying the price for our sin. The wages of sin, we're told, is death. John Piper describes this in a a short thing uh, posted on DesiringGod.org entitled, Why Jesus Needed a Body. And he put it this way. The incarnation is the preparation of nerve endings for the nails. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to press through. He needed to have a broad back so that there was a place for the whip. He needed to have feet so there was a place for the spikes. He needed to have a side so there was a place for the sword to go in. He needed cheeks, fleshy cheeks, so that Judas would have a place to kiss and there would be a place for the spit to run down that the soldiers put on him. He needed a brain and a spinal column with no vinegar and no gall so that the exquisiteness of the pain could be fully felt for you. That's grace upon grace. And you wonder, what, 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 grace upon grace, is it grace lavished upon grace upon grace? Certainly it's that. But, but, but really, this idea of this phrase in verse 17 is grace in place of Grace. What's he talking about? Well, he describes it in verse 17. Look at for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. We need the law. The law is what tells us of our need for a savior. And yet you think of that moment where Moses is there on Sinai. He goes, God, show me your glory. What does God say to him? You couldn't survive the encounter. But you know what I'll do? There's a cleft in the rock over here. You can go over there and and I'll cover that partially and you can see sort of the back end of my glory. But what we find in Christ is this. God's glory manifest. We can actually look and see. God. So, The law given to Moses is an earlier display of grace, a grace already given. And yet, this grace we have in Jesus is the climax of God's revelation. It is the apex of God's salvation. It is God's massive work and the culmination of all of redemption history. And that's what Christmas is all about. How will you respond to the gift of Jesus this Christmas? There was a a pastor, he was traveling, teaching in Asia, and he was actually talking with some Tibetan priests, and, and they were talking about how, you know, God is at the top of a mountain, and all these paths, all the paths lead to him. You know, they all lead to the same place. And this pastor, he was just engaging with them and having a good conversation, and he said, he goes, wait, wait, he goes, okay, I think I see what you're saying. What you're saying is that God is here at the top And whatever the path you might take, be it Buddhism or Christianity, Hinduism, whatever it would be, they all are different paths, but they all lead to the same God. And the Tibetan priests look at him and they go, Yes, exactly. That's exactly what we're saying. And he goes, Okay, well, what if God, instead of having us go up the mountain, what if God came down? And they said, Whoa, that'd be great. And he said, that's what Jesus did. That's the difference. He came down to us. So let's rejoice. For the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would impress these truths on our hearts especially as we celebrate your tabernacling amongst us. The word became flesh. Jesus the God man it's mysterious it's so above and beyond anything we would ever think of but it is your act of grace and truth for all those who do not yet know you personally by receiving this light we pray that you would accomplish that even today and for those who have we pray that you would grace us to live as lights in this dark world. Not because we have the inherent light in us as Jesus does, but because we're reflecting his light. And he's the one that's called us to living in that way. Especially these days. Grace us, Lord, to, to love you and to love others because you first loved us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.